Hello friends, thank you so much for coming back and joining me for another episode of this women's empowerment mini series here on the Edge of Fear podcast. Today's guest, Sherry, was an absolute ball of wisdom. I absolutely loved her perspective and her point of view. The knowledge and wisdom and experience that she brought to this conversation just gave me chills so many times. Um, There are really some awesome nuggets in here. So I hope you guys love this episode as much as I loved having this conversation. Uh, We talk about our self-worth, our self-love, getting in touch with who we really are and how that gives us the power to communicate it, how shifting our perspective really can change our life um, and really digging in on this journey. So I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I will see you on the other side. Hi friends, welcome to the Edge of Fear podcast. Hosted by Liz Basil Lewison at Liz Without a Pillow. Each week, I'll be bringing you some different insights, lessons, and laughs with an end goal of a more empowered and authentically happier human race. Everybody's got a story, and everybody's story is important. Let's do this. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Edge of Fear podcast. I am so excited to bring you today's guest. Um, This is actually a friend of mine that I met through Instagram, through my fiance. They went to college together, Um, but she has a really interesting story, and I'm so excited for her to tell you a little bit about it. Cool. Hello. Hi, Liz. Hi, Sherry. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. So I am Sherry Homeyun Myers, born and raised on Long Island. I'm about 31 right now. Uh, and my background has really been within health and coaching and wellness, actually. Awesome. Um, so a couple of things that we wanted to talk about today, uh, you know, you have so many, you've worn so many hats um, in overall health for people. Um, So one of the things that I, that you mentioned to me that you have done is working with professionals and teaching them compassion and empathy. Yeah, absolutely. So recently, I'd say within the last year, I was an in-house performance coach in the tech world. So I worked within a series A startup and all that means is they had in, um, had to raise money on their own. So they had investors and fiduciary responsibilities to really grow a company here in America, but the company was German themselves. So when I stepped in, um, it's very interesting because culturally speaking, a lot of cultures build this quote unquote American culture very differently. So what I mean by American culture is the climate within a company the way we look at people, the way we assign value to people, it all stems from personal beliefs. So when I first entered the startup world and I was doing my in-house coaching, immediately I realized that there was a lack of empathy there. And it's something that's very common at the executive level. A lot of uh, business professionals are so focused on the results and so focused on being efficient and being productive that the process sometimes loses uh, its friendliness. And so it becomes very competitive. It becomes a very cutthroat type of highly masculine, highly driven environment that few people, few millennials actually want to work in. It's just, it's too high pressure and it's unnecessary too. And so a lot of business professionals at the executive level, they get angry and upset and frustrated because their turnover is so high. 
And so my background really stemmed from talent acquisition. I was their director of talent acquisition uh, and people in performance. So it was my sole responsibility to not just find folks and bring them into the company, but to train them. And the same thing went with my executives where if I'd noticed that there was a lack of social awareness there, maybe things were being said in front of the team that really should, you know, it, it was unprofessional or inappropriate. There'd have to be some type of accountability. And that's where I stepped in. And I did that at both the executive level of holding my executives extremely accountable to their behaviors and to embodying the cultural principles that they wrote out and that they had spoken about and preached about. And then also to hold the performance accountability of the workers. So making sure that people understood not just what they were responsible for, but how to get there. And that, that really is something I love to do. I talk about career development, but on the executive side, it's about understanding that not everyone is going to show up and be a kind human being. There's a lot of wounds that sometimes arrive with that person. And you really have to sit down with that person and get to know their mindset, get to know their stance. How are they planning to use their mind in this type of arena because it can be very detrimental to a business if you don't, if you really don't um, get to that root, the problem, the cause, and if you only live in the effect, then you, you won't be able to scale a team. So that was really what I got to do for a little over a year. Prior to that, I was in recruitment. So just helping people get into jobs that they really love, training them, um, developing a lot of their communication skills and, and things like that. Wow. Oh my goodness. You just opened up like so many things for me. Um, <laughs> when you mentioned that you worked with professionals on compassion and empathy, I was immediately intrigued by this. Um, uh, I've read a lot of Brene Brown and compassion and empathy is a, a big thing for me that I have found, um, you know, I, I've realized a lot more about myself in recent years that I am an empath and that's part of the reason why I'm so emotional and sensitive and why people can open up to me. Um, but I've come to kind of realize throughout this journey on my own is that not everybody is that way. Um, and it's not natural for a lot of people to be empathetic. You know, we are very hardened by this world. And I think especially in the professional sense, especially, um, you know, as we, all, as we show up to work in kind of a different mask, in kind of a different armor, we don't really want to necessarily let people in. And it's really encouraged to not let people in. Um, so what you said about, you know, having accountability by the workers is so important, but also the accountability by, you know, the executives to have the social awareness to be a little bit more professional, to be a little bit more appropriate and to not make people feel less than or that their worth is only, you know, their output. We are so much more than that, you know? Yes, exactly. Exactly. A lot of issues around, um, how people are treated, it stems up in today's society, even you hear about having a toxic culture or, you know, a word I put is a cutthroat culture where it's an environment where you feel like you have to walk on eggshells. You feel like you have to be somebody else because you want to be liked and get the approval of your, you know, of your authority uh, figures. But when I think about 2020 and where we're at today and just the conscious level 
that millennials have in the workforce. They make up about 70% of the workforce here in the US. You have to have empathy and compassionate management or else people will leave. You know, they won't put up with it. Totally. Um, I spent a couple of months traveling a few years ago and it was so interesting. Um, I stayed for a long weekend with a girl who had lived with my family years ago. She was, uh, she's a German girl, uh, my friend Julia, and she uh, did an internship with my mother's company and my mom volunteered to house her for the summer. Um, and so you know, 10 years later or whatever, I went uh, to Germany and met up with her. And so I stayed with her and her boyfriend for a long weekend and met her friends. Uh, and it was just so interesting to see how none of them had to worry about taking that Friday off for the town festival. None of them had to worry about, you know, being a little bit hungover for their training. They were able to communicate that to their, you know, their coworkers and to their bosses. And people had this, this empathy for, you know, you're a regular person living a life and you have, you know, a whole existence outside of work. And no one was unhappy at their job. And it was just such an such a totally different experience and such a culture shock as an American to see that there are whole regions of the rest of the world where people aren't miserable at work. And the reason that I was traveling at that point was because even though I loved my job, I felt very underappreciated and underpaid. And I know that that's a common thread, um, you know, for millennials. Yes, absolutely. And that's so beautiful. You were able to travel. I love the different cultures across the world. They all bring such a great essence of diversity. So our team, even in my last company, we had probably 50 nationalities. There's so many nationalities and everyone brings something new and a creative way of looking at something. It's when you get stuck in an environment where it's only one viewpoint and it's usually the CEO or some type of executive viewpoint that goes that that rigidity becomes too much. It's like you all of a sudden are in this level of blind obedience and you're just showing up at work to, to do what you were told to do. And it lose, you lose out on the, on the craft, you lose out on the creativity. And from a number standpoint, you definitely lose out on the productivity of your people because everyone's gonna be distracted. They don't really wanna be there. They're gonna procrastinate and nothing ultimately is gonna get done. So that was a big issue we saw in the startup world is just how do you keep people excited to be there and how do you keep them on a, a productive level even? Yeah, and I really love that, that you kind of have the numbers and the experience um, to kind of like make sense of that because it, it, it does make sense, you know, on a, on a logical level that like, of course we would be unproductive if we're forced to stare at the screen all day or forced to be on literally that nine to five, like no break schedule, like a one hour lunch or a half hour lunch or something. Of course, no one can do that. That's, you know, not realistic. It's not feasible. Um, and again, to bring up Brene Brown, she talks so much about when people are afraid to talk about their, you know, they can't talk about an issue in their marriage or in their friendship or in their family. They can't bring that issue to work. Then they're not going to be bringing creative ideas to the boardroom because they know they're going to be, you know, 
either beat down for any ideas or, or real humanity, or they're just not going to be heard, or they're just afraid. And maybe they would be heard, but they're, they're too nervous to bring that creativity. So of course our, our creativity and our productivity is down when we are, you know, beaten down by the system like that. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think immediately of how, one of the big things I had to do in that role is I'd asked, you know, my, my workers of what do you want to give this week? Like, what do you want to give? And then breaking it down. Okay. Then what do you have to give today? Like, what do you have to give from yourself? And it's all about putting the perspective in the shape of giving and not necessarily getting a lot of people show up to go to work, to get a paycheck. A lot of people show up to work, to get involved with their coworkers or to talk or to do water cooler chat and, you know, depending on what type of, uh, of industry you're in. But what I did and that I got good feedback around was helping people understand what they're there to give. And when you do that, and when you show people and shower them with appreciation for what they have to give, they're going to give even more there. You're not going to have to ask them to work on the weekend. They're just going to naturally do it because they know that they have something to give. And when you're appreciative of it, which I think stems from, again, this level of empathy, if you don't have empathy, you won't have any appreciation. All you'll have is expectation and your expectation won't get met all the time. And so, you know, there's a lot of leaders who get frustrated. They don't know why are my people not performing? And while it's like, well, we're disempowering our people because we're saying that their performance isn't good enough because we're focusing so much on the result. I think what now society is doing is they're getting back to the, the holistic route, which is the mindset. And I've seen a lot more personal development get involved in, in corporate culture. I've seen a lot of even wellness, Liz, like where you know, back when I was a recruiter in a massive staffing agency, I led corporate wide uh, meditations. So at lunchtime, every single Wednesday, a bunch of us would get together and we'd lead, I'd lead like a 15 minute meditation. But it, it created this type of environment where just like you said, it was encouraged for people to bring up their ideas. And it was encouraged for people to bring other elements of their life to work and show people that. And it really did make for a phenomenal culture. Wow. Oh man, that's so cool. Just bringing meditation to, you know, a professional environment to a setting where it's not really like expected at all is so cool. I, I just love when anybody encourages like just getting your feet wet. Like you don't have to do this if you don't want to, it's not mandatory, but like give it a try if you want, if it feels right for you. Um, and I could definitely talk with you about this forever. <laughs> um, but I think it's a really good segue into um, one of another things that you've done counseling on um, as far as like relationships go, because I think there's so much similarity in the way that we work with the way that we, you know, relate to people in our relationship, in our lives, you know, our loved ones, our significant others. Um, what you said about like giving versus getting, when you're showered with appreciation, you want to give more. And it's so like that in love, you know, when you are allowed to show up as you are, and when you're allowed to be totally honest with, you know, the way that you live, the way that you do things, your voice, whatever your perspective is, 
um, and you are still shown love and you are still appreciated for that, you are more likely to continue to show up. Um, and it's obviously your expectations aren't going to always be met just like in, you know, the corporate world. So, you know, by just showing appreciation, showing love, showing that, you know, you care that you're there and you are valued for just being there makes you want to show up better and makes you want to show up more. Yeah. Um, so you said that you have also done um, like some sexual counseling uh, for, I think you said younger uh, men and women. Was it just women? Yeah. So for me, it was predominantly women because that, that was my thesis throughout college. I studied health and specifically sexual health for women right. and different issues that come up for women. Cause I was going through so many different issues at, at that time in my life that I didn't understand. So I was like, there's gotta be some research here, something like <laughs> it can't just be me, you know? Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's very empowering, you know, and that is again, kind of why I, reached out to you and why I've been on this kick of trying to, trying to find some empowered women. Um, it is so empowering to see other people have gone through the same thing that you're going through. Um, and when that research doesn't exist, one of the, one of my favorite quotes that I love is if the book you're looking for isn't on a shelf, write it. Um, and so that's really interesting that you chose this for your thesis for college. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more about kind of what you were able to provide for those women, what you learned um, through your studies for your own journey. Um, and uh, a specific question that I, you know, always I'm kind of thinking about is you know, transforming while you're in a relationship. I think it's a lot easier to go through those transformations um, and, you know, level up in consciousness when you're not with a partner. And sometimes it's a little bit tougher when you're with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I can definitely speak to a little bit of my background with this and just what's come about from it. So I noticed at an early age that I was dealing with a lot of self-worth issues and they didn't really come into my consciousness, AKA I wasn't aware of them until I was about 15, 16 years old. And that's where ultimately I found myself in a, a very dark part of my life, a dark season, you know, dark nights of the soul where you're just questioning, like, what's everything matter? Like, what, what do I, what, why do I matter? I don't matter. And that became my self-talk of you don't matter unless you look a certain way. And so I developed a really horrific eating disorder right before I went to college. And it was through a relationship that I actually was able to get out of that. And when I think back, and I, I've reflected on it for so long, but when I think back to what really changed, it, it was around self-worth. And that's the beauty of what a relationship can do for you is if you show up and you're authentic and you, you are vulnerable with your partner, it gives them a glimpse into some of the dark rooms that you've closed off. And if they are mature enough emotionally and even spiritually, if they are mature enough to see that within you and come from a place of love, they can slowly open that door and help you get out of it. And that's really what it was for me is, you know, at the time I had no love for myself, but then a gentleman had come into my life and he really loved me for me. And it was that beginning of my own journey, really through spirituality and understanding what is my worth? Cause I didn't feel worthy. And I think a lot of our sexual issues stem from feeling unlovable. They stem from our self-worth. They stem from 
um, expressing ourselves and having so much judgment around that. We think, well, I shouldn't like this or I shouldn't be like this. And it's very negative. And so throughout my early 20s is when I started to, obviously I was going to Hofstra and learning more about this, but you become very aware of your sense of self. And that's an advice that I give to people that are on this journey where they feel like they're just not happy in relationships. You've got to get really in touch with who you are, where you come from and the worth you have in this world. I personally believe that there's an inherent worth within all human beings, all races, all ages, all genders, right? It's that worth that we wouldn't be here if we didn't have a purpose. And that worth is really divine worth. It can't be changed. We might change stuff on the outside, our jobs or the amount of money we make or you know, our friends and circles of influence, but that shouldn't change whether or not somebody loves us. And that's the key is because I think the first relationship we've got to work on is the relationship we have with ourselves. For me, I, I didn't feel worthy if I wasn't making money in my early 20s. I just, I literally, I could have everything else in the world, but if I felt like I wasn't making money, I didn't feel worthy to be in a relationship. I also um, realized that a lot of women suffer from receiving. We don't know how to receive. We don't feel good enough to receive good things. Again, stemming from this lack of self-worth and lack of self-love, which is where I've now evolved my coaching career to help women just get more in touch with themselves and more specifically to get in touch with their mind. Because I found that once I was able to really surrender all of these thoughts that I had about myself, everything changed. Because now I was showing up, I was seeing myself differently, and I was seeing the impact that I could have in the lives of other people. But first, I had to realize that I had an inherent worth for opening my mouth and speaking to someone. For any women or men that have dealt with social agoraphobia, social anxiety, I did. Around the age of 24, I didn't want to leave my house. I had a very mm -hmm. tough time speaking with people. I would be up in my head. The last thing you would see me doing is any type of live video. And at the time, I was a medical device rep. So I was in the pharmaceutical field going around to doctors. But inside, I felt like I had nothing to give. Like there was nothing good about me. I almost felt like I was in this body, but it didn't matter. And you become very depressed when you're just in a routine and you almost feel obedient to life. Like you're not giving, you're just, you're surviving. And that's, that's the place where I also think a lot of us get to in our relationship is we're just surviving in relationships. We're not giving anything. We're just getting by. We've lost the appreciation of our partner. So we don't even look at them sometimes. We, we get on our phone. We don't even communicate with them. We're not present with them. And all of that behavior to that other person seems quite selfish. How could they do this? You know, they don't care about me. But ultimately, this is where I talk about not taking things personally. It has to do with our mindset and our own lack of self-love, which is why we don't show up fully in our relationships. And ultimately we sabotage them. So my specialty has been around helping both men and women get more in touch with their own mindset, how they're using their mind, and then also going even deeper and getting in touch with that spiritual health, seeing where within this person do they need nourishment you know, a lot of us, we 
we wake up and we just go and we make things happen, especially in Western society here in America, we're, we're judgmental, you know? So like we judge ourselves based on what we do. And when you look at Eastern philosophy, you know, philosophy stemming from yoga and from Buddhism, it's very different. You know, it's a very, you think of the Zen Buddhist mind, the beginner mind, a mind that's so empty. It's never too full, can always learn, can always receive versus here in Western society where it's like, you know, talk about pride. People walk around superior with this nature of superiority because they have a title or because they have a car or because they have a flashy home. A lot of people are deriving their power from this. So that's ultimately, you know, some of the work that I've done and what I've seen even through it, through some of my clients. Yeah, I, it was, it's so incredible to, to hear this from another perspective. Um, this is what, what a journey you have had. I just want to give you the accolades on that. <laughs> um, so many interesting paths that have led you to, you know, this point in your life. Um, and that's such a very different experience than what I had. Um, the way that you said that your the beginning of your transformation came from, you know, this early relationship in your early twenties, where he really loved you for you. Um, I I'm so that's so profound to be able to meet somebody when you're so young who really is able to show you you know, that kind of love that you should have for yourself, you know, without the should, um, but that we can have for ourselves. Um, I loved the analogy that you used uh, of like what a relationship can do for you. Um, if the person is, you know, you said mature enough, I think it, it, they can get a glimpse into the dark rooms that you've closed off. And that's, that's so incredible. It's the negative self-talk and, and the negative mindset and you know, that ego and that superiority and that pride, and I'm only as good as my output, all of those things wrapped, you know, wrapped up in, in, um, in our mindset is, are all of these things working against us. And when we're able to like clean up those, those negative feelings towards ourselves, we are able to show up more fully, more completely and, and really, you know, realize that we're on a search for passion, on a search for joy, on a search for love. Um, and it, it can be a crazy and, and chaotic journey. Um, but I'm feeling very empowered by your going through that transformation while in a relationship. I have only been obviously in failed relationships, why I've had so many. Um, but now with Joey, with my fiance, I feel so empowered by him and I do feel so loved by him. And I, you know, came into this relationship loving myself more than I ever had before. So it feels like we already have grown together so much. So it's exciting to see, you know, that you can with love pour more love in and, and, and create more love there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Love is, it's healing. The word love and healing I use simultaneously because when I think about love, wherever there is love, there is light. And so many of us, we live in a state of darkness because we're not showing ourselves any type of appreciation for just being alive and for being where we're at. Then you think about the mindset that most 
people in especially America, but around the world have, it's a very divided mindset. It's very uh, restless. Our minds, our thoughts are very scattered. They're not disciplined whatsoever. And so a lot of people find themselves in a negative loop just with their self-talk, like I'm never going to find the right person or all men are evil or all women are, you know, just after my money, whatever it is, this type of narrative, this internal negative narrative, we a lot of times get stuck on it. And this is where I think the power of spirituality and the power of self-development in general, it helps you take a different stance. So it helps you see now past relationships, because I've had some pretty bad relationships too in the past, but <laughs> I see it through an eye of innocence. And I'm able to see this, that level of compassion I talk about where we don't judge people for how they're showing up. We accept them and acknowledge them for showing up. But we have to ultimately choose, is this someone that I want to give my love to? Is this someone that I want to be around? Because those are all choices. And a lot of times when I think about the world, it's that first thought of, is this someone I want to give my love to that gets us in trouble? Because a lot of times we judge people and we say, well, I'll only love them if they do this, this, and this. And it's a slippery slope in society because people make mistakes. And even in relationships, you know, communication barriers, they're not just happening in relationships that are crushing relationships. It's happening in corporate America too, where you see some of the tightest bonds, you know, are being broken. Trust is being broken because of miscommunication. So I think just piggybacking off of what you just mentioned, Liz, is not just the power of a relationship, but the power of your ability to communicate how you feel within a relationship goes a long way too. Yeah, that was definitely um, such an important part of this journey for me personally. And, and I've seen you know women really step into their power when they start to realize that they have a voice and that they have an opportunity. We always have an opportunity to communicate, you know, where where the lie is when once we become aware of it, what the narrative is that we've been telling ourselves versus the reality of what actually happened or what is actually happening, what is actually upon us now. Um, but really just, you know, putting words to to the experience for yourself, whether to shine a light on it for yourself or for others in a professional setting or in your relationships. Yeah, exactly. Um, wow, so incredible. You have touched on so many awesome things um, already. I'm, I'm so excited about this conversation. Um, let's talk a little bit more just about um, spirituality and I guess a kind of maybe if we could give some tips to listeners, um, you know, you've touched on so many really big things like self-worth as attached to money and body. And um, I think I keep saying output, <laughs> um, but output and what we're able to give to, you know, the company that we work for, things like that. Um, but I guess we kind of have really touched on it a lot, but I, maybe a little bit about like how your spirituality comes into your teaching and, and how you're able to lead others in that way. Yeah, of course. So for me, I think it would make sense for me to take you back a little bit to one of the probably biggest breakthroughs in my life that came from spirituality. So I've always been a very spiritual woman growing up. My dad was very spiritual. He's within the Baha'i faith, which was, or is rather a faith that 
it really believes in the inherent value and purpose of all people. And it's, it's very uniting. It's a beautiful faith, but he would always instill within me that there is a higher power, you know, prayer was really powerful in my life. Meditation was always very powerful in my life, but until I reached the age of about 23, 24, I never had a discipline or a practice around meditation. But what I did have was a lot of racing thoughts. <laughs> and for me, I had found myself in an area of mental health where my mental health was rapidly declining. I was a pharmaceutical rep. I found myself in this position that I was only looking to get more money from. I had no interest really in the pharmaceutical space but I had found myself a bit lost and it's very common where people make choices and all of a sudden you're like, why did I choose this? And you almost live in this place of regret. And that was me. I lived in this place of regret where I said, why did I take my entire career in this direction? And so many issues started to come about. I, I developed panic disorder. I developed bipolar disorder type two, where I was just so incredibly depressed. Um, you know, I, I had developed agoraphobia where I couldn't even leave the house. I would go to, you know, open up the door and my hand would start shaking. So doctors pumped me full of medicine. And obviously as a pharma rep, I'm very comfortable talking with doctors, but I noticed something. I noticed that I would go to my psychiatrist and I would say, you know, I, I can't get out of my head at night. Like I sit in my, I sit in bed and tears just become oceans where I'm just floating in them. Like I don't, I don't know what's happening to me. And within a minute, Ambien would be prescribed to me or, you know, well, Butrin would be prescribed or, or lithium or Lexapro or some type of antidepressant, antipsychotic, some type of medley of drugs would be given to me. Right. And it was fascinating because none of them worked. So what I had to do is I had to really humble myself and surrender all of these beliefs to a higher power, which is what I did because I had no more control. I ultimately, I, I couldn't help myself. My mind was turning against me. I had very intrusive thoughts. I'd be driving my car as a medical rep and, and my thoughts would say, you know, push down on the accelerator and, and, and crash your car. You'll feel so much better. And I, I would see these thoughts. And this is why I feel very comfortable talking about suicidal thinking and ideology, because when you're taking antidepressants, there's what's called the black, spot, black box warning on these things, where if you're experiencing any type of thinking right now, just wait for it, because a lot of times you start taking these meds and everything gets heightened. So that was me. I found myself 24 years old, making a lot of money, but feeling spiritually bankrupt. And so I really dove into a meditative practice. And what that looks like is I started to get quiet with myself and just sob. I would cry and cry and cry and just release everything. I didn't even know why I was sad, but I would just get to this place of stillness and I would feel all of these tears just come out, almost like I was surrendering to God, like crying at God's feet saying, I feel so bad. I feel so scared. Help me. And ultimately, I had gone through a meditation around the age of 24 where I prayed to God so much. I ultimately gave him an ultimatum where I was like, God, if you help me experience peace of mind, which is the only thing I wanted. I didn't want money. I didn't want friends. I just wanted peace of mind. And I had gone into a prayer and a meditation. And out of that prayer and meditation, my entire world changed. 
I reached what was called Samadhi and yoga. It's this place of like tons of bliss. You're just in a new level of consciousness where all of a sudden there, there's no you. It's just you and energy. And for me, it was so overwhelming. It was an overwhelming feeling of unconditional love. And that changed everything for me. When I lifted my head out of that meditation and out of that prayer, I was a different person. I had been blessed with wisdom. When I came out of that meditation, I know I immediately started crying. And I immediately said to myself, I'm going to come off all medication. I had this overwhelming peace for my parents. Growing up, I had a lot of anger against my parents for some of the things that they did, some of their behaviors, some of their choices. I had a lot of resentment there. But once I came out of this meditation, I had a different viewpoint. My viewpoint was of all innocence, like just even unconditional love for my parents. In that moment, I had unconditional love for myself. It was like I was able to pick myself back up and, and remind myself that this is not who you are, Sherry. You are not a scared girl. This is, this is not what you were born with. This is what you picked up. And you don't have to hold this anymore. You don't have to hold all of these self-beliefs that are you know, putting you really far away from God, which is what it felt like to me. It felt like you know, whether it's God, higher power, source, I felt like I was so bad and that what, how could God possibly love me? And when I came out of this meditation and prayer, I had this new confidence and this new love for God. And so from that point on, Liz, I meditated about five to eight hours a day for two years. I left my corporate job. I started uh, building my life coaching career. I would meditate. The, the thing I knew I had to do to really get in touch with my sense of self is I had to get quiet. I had to get beyond these racing thoughts and get to the core, get to the cause, which was me taking all of my power from like what we were talking about, taking all of my power from the amount of money I was making, taking all of my power away from the car I had, taking all of my power away from things on the outer world that really didn't matter to me. And that's why I felt so worthless. But the moment I shifted my perspective and said, you know what? God made me, I'm a servant of God. Like I am, I'm here and I'm given a gift of, you know, divine intelligence where if I fall down and I bust up my knee, there is an entity and a power within me that loves me so much. It's going to help me heal. And so my journey then became very much so inner peace, a journey towards inner peace and allowing this, this innate power to work through me on the behalf of other people. Because I had realized, you know what, Cher, you're not here to accumulate a lot of money. That's not your function. But for so much, Liz, I, and this is a lot of the spiritual issues that we run into is we look for God in all the wrong places. I was looking for God to be in the money I was making and, and maybe I'd feel good then, or I was looking for God to be in my partner and in how they acted. And, you know, I'd be happy once they did, you know, that, but ultimately all of those things could be changed. So when I started to develop my meditation practice, it, it was something that could never be taken from me. And it gave me so much hope, so much faith, so much wisdom, so much of a knowing, a level of certainty I had not had before, which is what then pushed me to start doing live videos. It pushed me to take on new responsibilities within a career 
AKA then I became an executive coach and I was teaching early executives in a startup how to meditate, right? So I realized that all of the pain and, and the pressure I had put on myself, it, it had pretty much put me down so much that there was only one place to go and that was up. And slowly but steadily, I dove into my own spiritual practice, journaling, reading. Reading was so big. Reading was so helpful for me. Books like A Course in Miracles, The Four Agreements, The Bible, The Quran, taking all of these different types of spiritual texts, the word of God, people call it, and allowing myself to have a perspective about it. Because at that point I had said, well, I don't, I don't know God. I don't, I don't know like what I'm talking. I talk to people about spirituality. I don't even know how to, how to communicate what I'm feeling. But slowly but surely you meet people like Wayne Dyer, who if anyone is on a spiritual journey, Wayne Dyer, Dr. Wayne Dyer is incredible. He talks about something called God consciousness, which is what I had experienced in that moment when everything changed, but I didn't know how to articulate it. And so from that point on, now spirituality has been infused in everything I do because my sense of self is so much stronger than it was. Oh, wow. So many things. <laughs> um, I, did you meet Wayne Fire? I, I love him. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to go to the, a lot of the Hay House events. So back in 2015, 2016, before he passed, he would be one of the main speakers um, Gabrielle Bernstein, Marion Williamson, folks that are part of Hay House will generally be there to speak. So I only, I only really got to see him speak a couple times. Still really cool though. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it's such a, uh, a knowing, I, it's funny that you say, um, you know, that these people and the reading and the journaling and the, silencing yourself and getting quiet with yourself and just letting yourself cry um that all of that was you know and and you know hearing these incredible people is what gave you access to god consciousness and and now you have the power to articulate it and i feel like you have just in this you know 30 minutes that we've been talking um given me so much so much verbiage to be able to articulate better my experience and to you know continue on this search on this on this search for for godliness for love for you know that greater knowing for honing in on that greater knowing that i already know that i have some access to um but i'm putting barriers up to on my own so i'm so excited for people to hear this um you you have a real a real way with words sherry i really appreciate that you know it was so beautiful Thank you, Mama. Of course. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I I could ask you a million more questions, but I really love everything that we've talked about already. So, I think we'll let's wrap it up here soon. Um, do you have any kind of like final words that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Um, I, you you have such profound wisdom, um, and I'm so grateful for you coming on the show today. Of course, and thank you for having me. I think the last words that I'd provide is to remember that, you know, the birds are fed. Something as simple as birds, right? Well, I'm looking outside now too. We forget how we are divinely supported. We forget about it. We, we think we have to make everything happen. We think that, 
you know, life will just always be the way it's always been. And we really forget how nature is divinely supported, how the acorn becomes a tree, how birds are constantly fed, but they're not worried about how am I going to find their food? They just naturally find it. And for us, we're very similar where we act like a sparrow. We act like a crow, even though we have the wings of an eagle. And I think it's because our greatness really scares us. And if you're someone that's listening and you feel like you have these great visions and these great dreams, but you're scared, you're literally scared. You're like, I don't know if I can do that. Or I don't know if I even want to do that. Like, what are people going to think of me? I say these things because they're inherent in all of us. We all have these divine gifts. And just like the birds can fly, we can fly too. And we even have wings like an eagle, but we have to go to work on our mindset because otherwise the ego, this small sense of self will say, your wings are clipped. You, you, you're too late. You're too old. You're too skinny. You're too fat. You're too whatever it might be. We feel like we've missed out. And no matter how old you are, no matter what you've gone through, no matter how many mistakes you have made, you are still blessed with this opportunity of life. And that was something that I really, I had never cared too much about. Like waking up back then, Liz, I was like, whatever, another day, here we go. Now, when I wake up, it's a gift. And it's really understanding that I've been given this gift, that all my relationships are now my assignment. And it's really taking that different mindset approach and not looking at the world so much like, oh, the world's got to change or else I'm going to be angry or that person or my partner's got to change or else I'm going to be angry, but rather taking our power back and saying, you know what, if I can't change this person, I can change the way I view this person. If I can't change this world, well, I can change the way I view this world. If, if you feel stuck today or you feel like you're you know, heading in a really poor direction, you know, it's reminding yourself that I might be on this path today, but I don't have to be on this path tomorrow. And ultimately just remembering that the power of God can work through us in so many miraculous ways. And some of the best advice that I was given was Sherry, you know, God works miracles in the dark. So where you think that your life is just going to be complete darkness, it doesn't mean that God's not there. It doesn't mean that you have no worth. It doesn't mean that you're never going to get through this. What it means is it's time to uplift our thoughts. It's time to take a new perspective. And so I invite any of your listeners that might be experiencing any type of worry, any type of anxiety, any type of fear right now to take a higher perspective, similar to an eagle, where instead of being on the ground level, looking at your situation, be like an eagle, use your wings to take you up a little bit, see the situation from a new perspective. And know that you can choose to look at something differently. It's very empowering when you can say, you know what? I choose to see this situation differently. It gives you your power back. It reminds you that, you know what? I, I am okay. I'm going to be okay. I am fine. I am great. But it's all got to be your decision. So that, that would be some of the last words that I'd give. Thank you so much. Um, I don't even want to end. I don't even want to add anything to it. It was perfect. Um, where can everybody find you? So for me, I love social media. So I do all my live videos. I come live every single week to talk about some level of consciousness. It could be anything. We'll talk about relationships, fear, anxiety, making big decisions. That's all on Facebook. 
under Sherry Homeyun Myers. On Instagram, I'm under Sherry, S-H-E-R-I, the letter A as in apple, Z as in zebra, it's my middle name, uh, and then Homeyun, my maiden name. Uh, and then my website is just simply Sherry. So S-I-M-P-L-Y-S-H-E-R-I. And from there, feel free to reach out. I also have my own podcast, The Quietest Moments, centered on exactly like what we spoke about today in the realm of spirituality and personal work. Um, but either way, you can always reach out. And I love, love, love to connect with new people. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sherry. And I can't wait to talk to you very soon. Thank you, Liz. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find me on Instagram at Liz Without a Pillow. If you loved what you listened to or know somebody that would, please share it. Screenshot the episode in the podcast app, share it to your Instagram story, and tag me. If you'd like to lend your personal support, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be so grateful. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. See you then.